0: Folks, in our youth, when our careers were growing and expenses were high, we needed to get the most from our savings and the money we invested in the market. As we age, we need a safer strategy, one that can protect against market loss. We need to keep our hard-earned principles safe while allowing growth to provide us with reliable retirement income. Therefore, to learn about reliable retirement income, I highly recommend Arif Halliby's show, The Total Financial Hour, Sundays at 11 a.m. on AM870, The Answer. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power. Hey, welcome to the show. Good morning. I'm Eric Hallaby. The Total Financial Hour on AM 870. The answer. Your place for news, talk and information. Total Financial Solutions and TFS Financial Insurance Services brings you this program. Look, we're happy to do that because part of the process of, uh, I hope, spending a little bit of your Sunday with me is to learn, right? It's to figure out a little bit about what's going on in the financial world, uh, but more importantly, how it impacts you. You've heard me say this time and again, uh, there are different phases of your financial life. The entire system of financial uh, scenario, if you will, was created to support baby boomers putting money into the market, meaning as the 72, 77 million people went to work and this new thing called a 401k, and if you're an educator, it's called a 403b, and there's a few of them, deferred compensation, et cetera, where you were good at what you did. You were a doctor, a teacher, engineer, police officer, whatever you did, somebody paid you, so you were obviously good enough to get a paycheck. But by the way, they said, give us some of your money. We're going to put it into the market. And by that time that, that you're ready to retire, we promise that you will have a lot of money. Now, they didn't say promise, but they kind of did. They showed you graphs and charts and 10-year averages and three-year averages. For what reason? Just to show you that that is probably where you're going to be. Now, they didn't do it with a wink and a nod, but they kind of did. Enough for you, the impact at least was the same, enough for you to look around and go, well, look, if, I, if I'm putting money into the market, did anybody ever teach you which funds to be in? Did any ever, anybody ever say you should go into the large cap or small cap or big or small or little uh, dividend? Nobody ever said that. Why? Because most of the time it was a guess, right? People didn't know. Nobody knows what the market's going to do. You can guess and you can kind of project, but all of that is just still a guess. Where most of this conversation goes is a, I don't know, kind of a promise. Go to work every day. Just take this out of your paycheck. You're never going to see it. They're going to give you some tax breaks today. And then when you retire, surprise, here's a big chunk of money. And if you were at the beginning of that baby boom curve, you probably did really well, right? You had millions of dollars saved. You still didn't know how it got to be millions. (laughs) You still didn't know like what happened or what beta or alpha or delta. I mean, all all of the Greek letters, what does that mean to your portfolio? What's the overlap? What's the percentages of, of overlap with your overall portfolio, including your non-retirement and your... What? Most people have no clue what that means. And they don't, not because they're bad, but because they were told by Wall Street, just go to work, take some money, throw it over your shoulder, we'll catch it, and we'll take care of it, quote, trust me. Now, during that process, the reason I'm bringing it up is because if you were at the front end of that then there were more people buying shares and the stock market went from 10,000 to 15,000 to 20,000 right on the dow and it continued to grow and as this continued you know growth in the market you thought you did something you would look around and go <laughs> look how smart i am honey do you know who you're married to <laughs> right look at me our accounts are now 500,000 or a million or whatever number it is this is what our Our accounts, look at what I did. And that false sense of involvement, of control, is what I want to caution you about when you get to retirement. Because while you're working, it's okay if your accounts go up and down. That's what the market does. And you kind of know that. You watch TV, you see it. Stock markets up, down, whatever. You know that. But when you're retired and you're counting on a third or even half of your income, to come from your retirement accounts, the, the stock market accounts, that bucket of money, can you afford to have it go up and down, up and down? Can you afford to lose 10 20 30%? Now, right now, your accounts might be higher, right? Remember, they went down last year. Now they're back up. That's great. Everything's good. We're excited. But did you sell? Did you do anything with it? Did you take the funds and go somewhere? Did you... Cash out? Did you pay off debt? Maybe. But most of what needs to happen is you have to realize that if these funds are there for you, if they're designed for your growth, for your wealth uh, accumulation, then what I want you to do is to remember that you have to realize some of those gains. Right? Who cares if you have a house in Beverly Hills or West LA or Anaheim Hills? It doesn't matter. Right, put the put the word hills in it, and it, it's probably worth something, or a home in Mission Hills, it doesn't matter. But if it's paid off and you have five hundred thousand or five million in equity, on paper, there's a store of wealth, and it might be that building or that that home. But you can't take a piece of drywall to the grocery store. So you need to have a liquid amount of money, you need to have a steady stream of income you should probably have enough money to pay your bills and then some each and every month so you never run out of money. Because the way it works is there's interest that's put in your account when the market's up with us. And if the market's down, then you don't lose anything. But it isn't paid monthly. In some cases, it is. Most of it is paid, though, annually. And so if your money is in the stock market, it's every day. It's up, it's down, it's up, it's down. Did you pull any money out? Did you... Need to go to the grocery store. What if, when you needed the money most, the market is down? Now you're forced to sell whatever shares you have, whatever units, at a loss. Because you have to. You need the cash. You don't take shares to the grocery store. Who cares if you have 50 shares of something? If they are now worth less money, you might have to sell 60 shares in order to get the same dollars. Because that's what we buy groceries with. That's what we pay our electric bill with is dollars, not groceries. Uh, sorry, not to, uh, uh, um, shares. There's a reason I share this with you because for most people, the conversation of what are you going to do with retirement money and, and where do we save and what do we do? All of that is a function of two things. How much income you have and how much expenses do you have? Right? There's, there's political correctness that's, that's spinning through our economy right now. They use guilt and violence. It's almost like two kids, two brothers fighting in the backyard, and one hits the other one. But when mom looks, the aggressor says, I didn't do anything, lifts their hands up. I didn't do anything. And says, well, and by the way, you're just picking on me because I'm the oldest. You can fill in the blank, whether it's race or income status or religion. I don't know. You're just picking on me because I'm whatever. And the younger brother who's sitting there going, well, that's not what really happened. So after a while, the younger brother says, I'm going to have to take things into my own hands. Right. I counted on companies to cover my retirement account. Every time there's a problem, they say, oh, it's the government, China, Trump, Democrats. Counting on Social Security to take care of your retirement. Sorry, can't. Why? Well, because uh, Social Security now has limits how much they're going to pay you, how much other monies you've made. Even if you've paid, paid into it your whole life, it's not designed for you to get back what you put in or to make a profit on it. It isn't designed for you to, to break even or, or anything. You have to pay for people that have never put in to Social Security. You have to pay for illegal immigrants that have never put into Social Security. What Eric? if that's not true, they don't collect? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Why? Because they become residents, citizens, disability, boom. Well, Arab, they've been putting money in for years and never getting any benefit. Well, they're using stolen social security numbers. Right? That's a felony. If you and I used a stolen social security number, we couldn't, we, we would get in trouble, we'd go to prison. And so when that happens, when you see that that take place, and they say, "Well, you see, those dollars go into social Security, and they never come out, because the real recipient of that, of that social security number does not really get the credit. They pull it away from you. They say, "I know that somebody in Philadelphia or in Seattle used your social security number, but we're not going to give you the credit for it because it wasn't really your effort. And because the illegal immigrant doesn't get any uh, credit for it, they don't receive social security when they're still illegal. The Social Security Department keeps the cash. They don't give it back to him or her. So when is there enough money in Social Security to make it so that we can all live? I don't know. That's way above my pay grade, but I do know this. The Social Security Administration is saying that if you're counting on a third of the income for you to have in retirement... Now, it was never designed to be more than a third. That means if you made $3,000 a month... They never expected you to, to receive more than $1,000 a month from Social Security, $1,000 a month from a pension, and $1,000 a month from your own retirement account, You know your savings, et cetera. Today, a huge percentage of Americans are counting on $1,500 coming from Social Security. Pensions don't exist in the way that they used to. And many people have put their retirement accounts at risk. Meaning the predictability of income, the predictability of savings, all of that doesn't exist anymore. So that means for most of you, you're you're thinking, well, Arif, I had a chance. I was on track. Everything was great. And then this coronavirus thing comes along. Well, Maybe, just like in 2008 when we were doing our radio programs and we were saying, look, here's part of the problem, guys. You didn't plan on retiring at 63 or 64. You were going to work till age 66. But 2008 came along and they laid you off and you're probably not going to go back to work, so you're going to retire early, which means you're now going to tap in to Social Security at an earlier date. Now, the problem with that is... The older you get, the higher the value of your your monthly check. Well, that now stops because you need it to live on. Or you planned on saving in your retirement accounts for two or three or four more years because you got a late start, saving for your daughter's college. After your second divorce, you had a failed business venture. So a lot of things occur in our lives normally. And by the time people say, okay, now I'm going to start saving. I'm going to spend my 50s and 60s just doubling down and adding money surprise coronavirus comes. So here's a couple of signs I want you to think about that you just may have to retire early, not your choice, but here's a couple of ways to kind of settle in and say, this probably is the next step. Number one, you, you've already lost your job, right? This great lockdown, so to speak affected 36 million Americans. I mean, I don't know if, you know if you know how many that is, but every single man, woman, and child in the state of California, that's about 36 million. So unless you really have a large network of employers, professional contacts, people that you know, you have a stellar reputation in your field, you know, maybe you have a, a patent or, or some sort of skill that is really hard to to duplicate. All right. Maybe your shot is getting back on. But really what's happening is this federal unemployment thing, this extra $600 a week, that only goes until July 31st, the end of July. So that unemployment check, that period of time, you're going to have a bit more money. So I'm going to encourage you, don't start your your social security until that time or even beyond, just because the longer you wait, the higher the amount. Now, if you can't, you can't, but keep that in mind. You've been laid off. You don't have one of those jobs or skill sets that is just off the charts chances are pretty good you may not get rehired. Here's a secondary condition. Now, I'm not saying these things are right. This is the way it is uh, and has to be. I'm just saying this is the way it is and currently is. You have pre-existing health conditions. Look, a lot of seniors are forced into early retirement when that coronavirus deal came through because they had issues with their health. It could be back problems. It could be their mobility. It could have been heart issues. It could have been that the employer had to make massive accommodations. And when everything was running well and profits were high, they didn't really care. But when it comes to laying off across the board, right or wrong, decent or indecent, sometimes it's the way it goes. And you're going to be stuck having to figure that out. So have a frank discussion with your physician about the risks because maybe it's better for you to not go back to work, right? Maybe it's better for you to not be involved in the same job because from a health standpoint, right? So I don't know the answer, but just kind of know that. All right. Here's the group that seems to get in trouble all the time. Ready? Middle management. Now, I know that you and I try to think of middle management as a, as a group, as a, as a set of uh, folks, that are vital. And in some professions, they are. They are the liaison. They are the the institutional knowledge. It was kind of a place to put you to reward you for longevity and loyalty. It was, let's move them to a senior blah, blah, blah. All right? Let's move them to a district manager, regional supervisor, whatever it is. Okay? The reason that they're going to have a tough time going finding work again is because the pay that they are paid is often more than they are worth. All right, don't throw things at the radio. Don't call me a name. Don't turn the channel just yet. Seek to listen and understand. When I say more than they are worth, I don't decide that. But mid-level management has to produce. No different than upper-level management... Or or work line people, frontline people, but mid level management. When I say more than uh, they're paid more than they're worth, it's simple. The market decides that, right? If you're if you were being paid sixty five thousand a year, and then now you go to middle level management and it's ninety five thousand, can you walk into any other company tomorrow with your experience, your reputation, your knowledge, and walk in and say, "Hi, I want ninety five thousand a year." If the answer is no, then your company was paying you too much. And I'm not saying they should or shouldn't. I'm saying the market has decided that you were probably overpaid. Doesn't mean you're bad. But if somebody doesn't tell you the truth and, and get you to look in the mirror and stop you being a, a victim, right? Everybody's a victim for something. It seems like we're in the culture of victim, right? Everybody has to be a victim. Uh, it's like the male white Christian who's a good looking guy uh, who, who is a certain age, Right? Maybe a little bit of gray hair and they're above age 50. I don't know. You are the perfect individual. Everybody else has been a victim of something. And when you add numbers to that financially, you know, go back to what Martin Luther King said. Was it the content of my character or the color of my skin? I can't remember that part. Is it judge me for what I do and who I am? Not what my nationality is or my background or my religion, right? I I don't know. You don't have to agree with every single thing that every single person has ever said. But I can tell you that Martin Luther King was pretty darn smart about that. I wonder where he got that from, maybe just through prayer and divine intervention. But I don't think he's been more, that that any person has been more right about anything in a hundred years. And yet we have people today who think because they sat in the chair at a corporation for 22 years, for 47 years, that they deserve more pay. Look, you can be mad at me, guys, but it doesn't mean that that's going to solve anything. Right? If you've been in that same chair for a period of time and you're able to do the job quicker or make more widgets in the same hour because your experience has brought you there, but eventually the position is capped out. In other words, it's the most amount of money that that job gets paid. You see, it's not the person that decides how much they get paid. It's the job. You can have Warren Buffett be a secretary at a nail salon. It doesn't mean it's worth a billion dollars a year. It means it's, you know, minimum wage job or a little above. You know, you can have Bill Gates work the front desk at a Radio Shack. Still is the front desk person at Radio Shack. Whoever you put into that position doesn't matter. Now they have a, a minimum skill level to get the job. They have, we want them to get to this level, more efficient, know the computer programs. But somebody has to have this conversation with you because I don't care if you've been there 37 years. Nobody, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean like, oh, well, well, in that case, we can charge our customers more. So therefore, we make more and then we, tend, we give more to you. It doesn't work that way. And I want you to know this because I think the sooner you know this, if you're in your 50s or your 60s and you've lost your job, there's hope. Big time hope. But you have to do it the right way, in my opinion. Right? Our job is to take your former retirement accounts, your IRAs, your 401ks, turn those into safe and protected accounts that can grow when the market goes. And when it's time to turn on reliable retirement income, then that's our job. We build, sort to speak, a plan. We, we kind of work with you on this. You, you give us what you need, how much money you need, how much you have, da, da, da We put together like, hey, here's two or three different choices. And from that, you make your decision. A very simple, clean, pure process. When you build layers in it, and look, I was a shop steward and a union guy for many years. So what I'm sharing with you is anti-union, I know. It's pro-common sense, but it doesn't always get my union friends excited. Well, Eric, if this guy's been there for 10 years, he should get paid more. Well, listen, if he does more, if the profits to the company are greater or the, the organization or their skill set or they've got more degrees or uh, certifications, I'm with you on that. But if it's somebody who who works a little slower because they're a little older, it isn't me that's telling you anything. I'm telling you that your work experience in middle management most likely is going to have some problems because I think that the group that helps things run, right, with a flattened organization where you don't have 17 people in the middle, right, they're going to flatten that. They're going to, the difference or the distance, I should say, between the worker And the management that's the supervisory management is going to be fewer people. So here's the solution for you. You either have to get better so that you can promote into upper management where the decisions are made, and frankly, you're going to make more money, or you have to spend less and get used to a lower uh, pay because go back to the working class, that level, and Here's the big thing. Be comfortable with living in that, that the financial lifestyle. If you are and you say, you know, I don't, I'm okay with that. It's less responsibility, less headache, right? Mid-level management usually gets the, the junk from the top and the junk from the bottom. So it's often not a favorable place to be anyway, at least not for any length of time. You want to move through that or get there and then retire from there if there's extra benefits you can get from it. Right? I like that. What I don't want you to do is to get stuck there and think that you're going to leave that job and you were laid off and you're going to walk into another job at 96,000 a year or whatever. It just doesn't happen. So either get used to spending less money or get yourself skilled level enough to move up. And part of what I think is important today, I want you to consider, what if I open my own business? What if I go back to school and I learn accounting, basic accounting principles? What if I take what I'm pretty good at as far as a hobby or even a small business on the side and I develop that and I make more out of it? What if I can turn something like that into a business? Selling on Amazon, small shops, right? In in farmers markets. There's all sorts of places and things that you can do to give you, in my opinion, the next part of your life, you may have to trim your lifestyle a little bit. You may have to estimate your retirement income a little lower. And maybe that means you don't turn on Social Security at age 62 because your pension or your IRA contributions, your 401k, 401k contributions have stopped. So we just need to buy ourselves a couple, two or three or four years and let Social Security income increase before the time comes for you to turn it on. So there are lots of solutions. 888 99 Retire. I'm going to give you the phone number again 888 997 3847. 888 Retire. And maybe we can help. Look, if you have a retirement account that you've started with an old company, we might be able to help you with that. All right, we're up against the break. Stay with me. We're going to continue some solutions. Kind of during this challenging time. I mean, wouldn't you agree it's a bit yucky? We have some solutions for you. I'm Aerop Halaby, 888 99, retire on your place for news, talk, and information. AM 870, the answer. Financial power, the total financial power. Now Araf has a plan for me, higher income strategy. Financial security will help you. Dream. Learn about financial power, total financial hour. Hey, welcome back to the show, The Total Financial Hour. I'm Irv Hallaby. Thanks for being with me. Thanks for staying with me. 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. And our phone works all week long, so it's not just on the weekend, but all week long, so you have a chance to call the office. It's toll-free, so wherever you're listening to us, you can call in. Uh, it makes you feel a bit more comfortable. Uh, we can meet on in person, on the phone, we can do a video conference. There's all sorts of things that might be able to kind of put your mind at ease. Maybe we can help, especially if you have an old retirement account from a previous job that you might say, gosh, I, it's, it's too early to take it or I don't need it right now, but I am going to need it in five years or 10 years or 20 years, or maybe as what happened recently this last week, somebody said, listen, I don't think I'm ever going to need this money. I have so many other sources of income that really this is just designed for my beneficiaries, right? They're, they're like, listen, I will eventually need this money if all heck breaks loose. But if not, this is going to go my beneficiaries. We've had two clients pass in the last week. Kind of sad, you know, it doesn't always happen that way. We had a couple earlier this year, January, February, I think four, actually, January, February, and then now two in the last, less than a week. So it's kind of sad. I mean, right? It it can happen. Nobody knew. I mean, I guess one of them was a, a bit sick, but you still think you're going to beat it or you still think there's going to be, you know, a future or something around the corner. But overall, most people are not surprised that they're going to live, you know, 20 years according to the statistics, right? Most people think, oh, well, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm going to plan on, you know, working forever. Or they say, it doesn't matter. Uh, I don't plan on ever retiring. And then coronavirus hits, right? And then there's a layoff. And then there's a recession. It's nice that you don't plan on anything happening, whether it's dying or retiring or losing your job, but it, it's mildly interesting, right? What is the, the story you want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. <laughs> right, we, we we think that we have a whole calendar every time somebody passes away, just about. I promise you, you can go into their date book, you can go in their online calendar or their little, you know, Franklin Covey day planner thing, and you can see that they had something scheduled tomorrow, next week, six months. A lot of people had plans. Now, when they pass away, I pray that they have life insurance if they needed it for their families, because the proper use of life insurance has to meet the proper role. In other words, there's different types of plans out there. There's term, there's cash value. If anybody ever says you should always have one, or you should always have the other, or you should never have this or never have that, I look at them, I smile. And I think, well, they're still growing. Kind of like when, when uh, you know, little niece or nephew Susie or Jimmy come up to you and they have a couple they say, we never do that. You go, oh, that's cute. Oh, that's cute. So regardless of the amount of years that a financial professional has, if they ever say never this or always that, I just kind of smile and say, oh, how cute. And of course, I'm being a little bit sarcastic. Because the point is, there's got to be a lot of questions. When do you need it? What's the purpose of the life insurance? What is the value that you're trying to achieve? What is the place for that account? No problem. You tell me the purpose. And then you'll have choices. Because with life insurance, for example, as a tool for financial planning or or retirement planning or uh, 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 estate tax planning or inheritance planning, on and on. There's a value for life insurance. What I didn't like is when somebody said, oh, I have a wife and young kids and a house mortgage, uh, and I'm going to give you $100 a month, and the financial uh, advisor or the life insurance guy or gal says, well, I'm going to put you in a $50,000 policy. Okay. But the person had young children. Don't you think you should have bought more life insurance? instead of a cash value policy? Because the purpose of the money was to take care of, in this case, his wife and kids. So there's sometimes a great need for those kinds of plans and sometimes a great need for other plans. But be very cautious whenever anybody tells you always of anything or never of anything, right? That's wisdom, experience, life experience. But sometimes we need a little bit of a shock to the system for you to go, ah, okay, got it. I understand. So part of this process of when do I have life insurance? Should I cancel it? I'm laid off. Should I cancel my life insurance? It goes back to what was the job of the life insurance and is it still needed? Because for example, if you had a 30-year term policy and you had that when your kids were 12 and 14 and today your kids are 32 and 34 and you're a grandparent, You've built up savings in your retirement accounts to, I don't know, a half a million dollars. You have a rental property. You've paid off your house. Do you still need a life insurance policy? Maybe not. Maybe not. The kids are out of college. They're on their own now. They have their own lives established. Your wife or husband now has a backup, right? They have retirement account savings. They have a home that's paid off, so they're not going to be homeless. They're not going to lose their home, right? Depending on the the income, Tell me about your income sources. Well, I have Social Security. have a pension that I'm eligible for now. I wasn't before, but now <clears throat> I'm vested. So those things help a clearer picture develop that decides, should you keep a life insurance policy or not? Now, when you're laid off, sometimes you're forced into that position. When you've lost your job and money isn't coming in, you probably aren't going to be buying you know, filet mignon and, and premium gas anytime soon. Right, You're going to start with the luxuries. You're not going to go out to a movie twice a week. You're going to start paring down the costs. Now, eventually, you may get to the place where you've now arrived, to, to, as far as paring down the costs to a life insurance policy. Should I cancel it? Should I not? Is there something else I can do with it? Well, it's going to depend on your health. Can you qualify for another one? If in a couple of years you want to go back and get it, maybe. Maybe you'll pay more money for it. But I want to caution you from being rash about any kind of decision that ever comes from an always or a never conversation. There's very few things in my life that are always or never. There are some, for sure. I have absolutes, right? As a believer, there's absolutes. As an American, there's absolutes. As a family man that loves my wife and children, there's absolutes. But with something like I would never drive that car, or I never would drive a red car or a blue car or a yellow car. I mean, come on, really? I'll give you something for free. Oh, I'm going to drive it. <laughs> All right. So keep that in mind. OK, so when I was mentioning social security, now look, this coronavirus thing is going to affect a lot of people, and for somewhere in the neighborhood of about 30 years. So if you're in your 20s, late 20s, early 30s and plan on retiring, Social Security has a 35-year run rate, meaning they take 35 years of your income, and there's an average that's done and a formula that they put together, but they account for 35 years. That's why if you retire at 60, but you don't take Social Security, let's say, till 70, those 10 years are going to register as a zero. And so if we go back 35 years or 30 years when you were 30 years old, 32, 35, right, that window of time... Let's say you were making twenty-five thousand a year, forty thousand a year, they will drop off and become replaced by this year's zero. And it's this marching forward of thirty-five years, dropping off the 36th year ago and taking today's. So that movement that occurs, right? That change or that movement that occurs, because we have a bunch of zeros now for these months, and it might have impact. It'll probably impact Social Security, your, your expectations of it, for quite some time. The other side of it is, look, the states that make money on the gasoline taxes, the states that make money on the sales taxes, the counties that make money on the sales tax, let alone the income tax. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I can expect, just so you're clear, California, California to have serious beyond serious financial problems in the next six months. I I don't know. We've had them for quite some time. This coronavirus really put the the pinch on it. Right? You can look it up. In February, in in February of 2020, the state of California, the Democrat politicians, oh, don't listen to President Trump. He's a xenophobic, uh, racist, whatever. Stopping flights from Wuhan, that's that's wrong. Go out, go to, to the Chinese New Year, go to the uh Times Square, all the stuff that you were to do in New York. All the Democrat leaders were saying, Go, go, go. February twenty-fourth, twenty-fifth, the US Federal Appeals Court, unanimously, three to zero, vote in favor of President Trump, allowing him and his administration to deny funding to sanctuary cities, states, counties, which are liberal, right, Democrat. And so, surprise, surprise, four or five or six business days later, those same states that would have lost funding to sanctuary city, the rule, start declaring healthcare state of emergencies. Now, I don't know if it's connected I know this. I know Gavin Newsom is crafty and sneaky enough as a politician to to not make it so this stuff is, uh, uh, what's the right word? I, I think they put two and two together. I think a state that was already billions and billions, hundreds of billions of dollars upside down, knew that the next anvil to drop, and the public is in favor of it nationally, to deny funding when you don't allow criminal, illegal aliens to be taken into custody and deported, and you hide them from the federal government, you release them out the back door so that ICE investigators and detectives can't arrest them. Listen, when I was a policeman, we did it a particular way. L.A. City said we don't coordinate. So what we would do is uh, we would handcuff them. (laughs) And then we would turn over and give them to probation and take our handcuffs back, literally in the same circle, 10 feet apart. Probation would pick them up. Now, they didn't have an agreement with the feds. And the feds would be right next to me, ICE or uh, DEA or whatever it was, and poof, they take them. So we never gave them to them, but we had to play this circle game where you feel and I feel and everybody feels. And as long as we feel enough, then that must make a difference. So keep in mind that the object of this whole national... Listen, I think we started a ball rolling that that is difficult to call back, right? It's like shooting an arrow. It's Once it's gone, it's gone. You can't bring it back. Saying some words. Once the words are out, you can regret, you can say whatever. You can't bring them back. And when you start a national panic on something, and you have people, Americans... Yelling at other Americans for not wearing a mask inside of a store. And then yell, get out of the store. And the reality of wearing a mask is so much different than what Americans think. Right? In other words, a mask is nice, but it doesn't, n- nobody in, in the healthcare world takes it seriously enough. You go, well, if yes they do, I saw a picture on TV. Well, I mean, just think about it for a second. You're telling me that the mask is what? It's stopping viruses from coming in or viruses from going out, right? If I'm sick or the person, all right, I got you. So it's a virus catching machine. Then why do you throw it in the regular trash cans? Why do you set it on the, on the passenger seat in your car or put it in your purse? You've now contaminated your entire purse with virus. In the healthcare world, in labs, they would destroy everything. Your purse would go into a, a red bag, and it would be ziplocked, and you would be sprayed down, right? Or at very least, they would, they would spray the daylights out of you, like in those uh, you know, uh, negative pressure rooms with antiviral whatever, these people in spacesuits, except you're walking around put, with a mask on your shoulder. You put it down because you can't breathe out of your nose. We all understand. So just cover your mouth. Uh, what? You know, you can go back a couple of months. I did a great show on symbolism over substance. And we went over the straws, how that's a worthless cause, because plastic straws, you have to use two or three times of the paper straws, which means to ship it, because it's a volume thing, right? The same container can only hold, let's say, 50 straws, plastic or, or, or paper. But if I use two or three times the amount, now the truck has to come two or three times, which means more gas, which means more labor, which means more CO2 emissions, So I thought it was about saving the environment and plastic bags and, and on and on. My favorite, which is interesting now, is if they listen to my show and I think they should, I think they can get some wisdom. (laughs) It was pretty amazing. It was simple. I said, look, the same bag that sits with organic material in the back of your, the trunk of your car at 105 degree weather and it's fermenting and it has bacteria growing. And then I take that and I set that on the counter at the grocery store, and I carry them, and I put them in the grocery cart, and I never wash those bags, and there's uh, beef juice, right, and chicken juice that leaks all over the place, and, oh, don't worry, and then it just ferments, and what do they now ban you from bringing to the grocery stores? Oh, surprise, they listen to Arif. I thought the world was going to come to an end if we use plastic bags. That's what you told me. Huh, maybe I'm wrong. Or my favorite, which is the gas stations. <laughs> That's where it first came to be. Right? These gas station air dryers, right, for your hands. You go in, you wash your hands for 27 seconds, right? You sing, Mary Had a Little Lamb 14 times. You wash, you scrub, 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 scrub. And then you put it <laughs> underneath the the, the dryer. It, I don't know. Pick a store. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a gas station. Any place where they use these hand dryers. And they use, of course, freshly bacteria-filled, stinky air from a bathroom to blow that air that's hot, i.e., a lovely environment for bacteria to grow, right on your hands that I just washed. And then you turn around and you say, well, yeah, but air, you know, there's filters. Okay, listen, I've never seen an 18-year-old clean the bathroom the proper way, even when they sign that little thing on the back of the door. There's still trash everywhere. They can't even dump a trash can. You're telling me that they're supposed to change a filter? They're, they're not going to change a filter, right? They leave half the restaurant dirty half the time, not because they're they're dumb or bad, but that's just, listen, they're busy. They, they don't care. It's not a thing. It's not in front of them. They're not told to do it, whatever the reason. And so when I went over the symbolism over substance, man, did we get feedback from you guys, and I appreciate that. You all had different stories. You had different areas. I mean, it was kind of cute because our phone rang uh, for three days after the show. It was, it was interesting. And I appreciate it and the extra little stories that people were telling us about. Right? Everything from wearing your seatbelt to, to wearing helmets. Right, my friends that ride Harleys, they say, Arif, you know, when you have a helmet, the deal of a motorcycle is you're supposed to hear the people around you, you're supposed to be able to, to be aware when you have a helmet and it's blocking your hearing. How are you supposed to hear, from a safety standpoint, the cars around you or what's happening next to you? Right, you don't drive a car with a helmet. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't wear a helmet. What I'm saying is, let's think about these things. Is this a symbolism, i.e., those masks? Or is it substance making a difference? About three years ago, my wife and I were sitting at a restaurant, nice restaurant, kind of an upscale uh, fast food place, right? Tacos and, and that kind of thing. But uh, it was a fresh place. I won't get into the whole name of it, but you get the idea. Upscale, like ten bucks for a burrito three years ago, so that was a lot of money. And we sit down, and a lady sits down next to us after they ordered. We're waiting for our food. We're sitting there drinking our drink, and she has her drink, and she's drinking her soda, no problem. She sets it down, and with nobody said a word at her table. She reaches in her purse and brings out this little hand sanitizer, and she squirts it on every single person's hand, you know, the husband and the kid, and they wash, wash it in and out, up and down, and she picks up the exact same soda that she touched four seconds earlier without the hand sanitizer. And she's touching the table and she moves her purse and she scoots her chair in. I'm like, well, wait a second. Didn't you? You were supposed to be going into surgery a minute ago. I saw it. You had your hands all up and. And we both looked at each other and we said, that's it. This stuff is irrelevant. As long as you feel like you're making a difference, then you can sleep well. So I want to push you because in retirement, a lot of these silly symbolism over substance things will cost you money. When the state of California builds this high-speed rail, who do you think is going to pay for it? It's not the 27-year-old who sleeps on his mom's couch, right? It's not the 32-year-old who hasn't had a steady job uh, their whole life and 75000 in student loan debt, and they work under the table if they work at all. They don't have any money. So who's going to pay for all this stuff? You, you. The retiree or the upper middle income, 40, 50, 60-year-old working person who has work uh, habits, uh, ethics, discipline. You're the one that has to pay for all this stuff. It isn't the younger generation. Those folks are busy surfing or hanging out or playing video games. Okay, now you're smart enough to know I'm generalizing, but you also know that I'm not too far from the truth. It used to be rare to know anybody like that. Now it's either your child or maybe you <laughs> or your nephew or your niece or your, friend's, your best friend's son or daughter, right? Th- those, you know somebody now, relatively close, one or two distance away. That's it. You know. You know who they are. You know where they are. And these are people in your life that are going to count on you to work your tail off. For what reason? Because they're going to need stuff. And what they need is simple. They need you to go to work. And as a retiree, you better think twice about it. Because you're the one with the cash. You're the one with the money. And I want you to have in your life a conversation about what is it going to take to build, you know, a financial plan for you to never run out of money. And it doesn't come from guessing or believing or wanting. It has to come from work. So I like reliable retirement income. It's simple. Of course, it's what I do. That's why I'm talking about it. Why would I talk about art? I'm not good at a, <laughs> art. can barely draw a straight line. Certainly don't ask my opinion on fast cars. Not an, not an expert. But guaranteed income, protecting your, your assets... Building yourself up so that you don't have to worry about the craziness of the world. Knowing that you can be here or there part-time traveling the world, you know, vacationing, sitting at home and a check is deposited and money comes in. And if you're unfortunate, like the two clients that passed this year that, or this uh, last week that were both young, one was 72. I, I still call that young. Just retired not too long ago. And another one was sixty seven. Sixty seven. Diagnosed with cancer in February. Passed away two months later, two and a half months later. Had very little symptoms in February, in fact. Didn't even really feel anything. Just went in for the checkup and a little bit of little bit of fatigue, but wasn't sure. He's had it before. So I want to encourage you, remember, whether the idea is to save and plan for yourself, right, your future, make sure we never run out of money, make sure you're protected, make sure all of those things happen, or whether it's to plan and protect and to save and to build for your beneficiaries. Sometimes that's the case, right? Sometimes what we're doing is we're building and planning something very simple so that you and your family never have to worry about money. So you and your family can grow your wealth. We always looked at it this way. When my dad came to the United States from Lebanon, he came here for a chance. He never asked for a guarantee. He didn't want anything for free. He said, all I want is a chance. And if I can have an opportunity or a chance to succeed, then that's all I want from this country. Now, I thought that was pretty crazy because back then, you know, you're not sure what life is going to bring you when you're a teenager. But I do know this. You have a chance. This country is still here. It's still very strong. When we get leaders with courage, we do very well as a nation. Stay with me every week at this time. Give me a call, guys. Triple eight ninety nine retire. Triple eight ninety-nine retire. You have a wonderful week. Talk to you soon.